0: If you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain one it's free two there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on spotify apple podcasts and many more you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership it is everything you need to make a podcast in one place Welcome to episode one of the Little Shop of Murders podcast. I am your host, Mike. Um, You ever have an outfit that you just want to wear all the time, but there's never a good occasion for it? You might even kill to be able to wear it. Well, that brings us to uh, Mary McKnight. She had an outfit that she just loved that she would just kill to be able to wear. Uh, Mary McKnight uh, was the oldest daughter of Canadian immigrants Isaiah Murphy and Sarah Timmons. She was born in Canada in 1857. At 13 years old, Mary and her parents crossed over to the U.S. and settled into Alpena County, where her father worked at a local sawmill until he purchased a plot of land in Kalkaska County. As a teenager, around the age of 14, Mary left home. It is thought that she had left to help the family make ends meet and moved into the boarding house of William and Sophronia Leach in Alpena. She worked as a domestic servant doing laundry for other boarders who worked at the sawmill. It is believed that she learned about medicine and being a midwife from another resident of the boarding house, Dr. Louis Sergras. Mary caught the eye of a local painter, James D. Ambrose, and at 19, on April 19, 1876, they were married. They lost three children at birth and later had two other children, Minnie and May. In 1882, while visiting her grandmother in Monroe, Michigan, about 300 miles south of Alpena, Minnie caught diphtheria. Mary was sick at the time so John went south to Monroe but by the time he'd arrived Minnie had died. So that's child number four. In 1884 Mary and her daughter May who was two years old at the time traveled to Saginaw to visit some old friends of Mary's. While on the train they both became sick and were taken to the hospital where Mary made a full recovery but May Ambrose did not also pass away from diphtheria like her sister Minnie. Later in 1887, James Ambrose became ill and died. According to eyewitnesses, he spent his last moments thrashing in agony, his limbs twitching in erratic convulsions. Mary ended up receiving $2,000 from James's life insurance policy, and that's about $57,000 in today's money. Mary, being widowed and alone, moved in with her late husband's business partner, James Ernest McKnight, and his wife. In July of eighteen eighty seven, James's wife became ill, suffering from an onset of convulsions or seizures; James's sister in law, Gib Teeple, had rushed to Wilpena with her husband; Gib left her baby in the care of Mary, so she could stay by her sister's bedside, but no amount of nursing helped; mrs McKnight died the night her sister and her family arrived. The next day, baby Teeple also got sick, suffering from cr- convulsions, and she also died. Sometime later, Mary moved to Saginaw to live with her sister, Margaret Chalker. James McKnight, who is now also a widower, had fallen for Mary and the two planned on being married. After the wedding, Mary moved back to Alpena with James. She would occasionally visit her sister back in Monroe. During one of those visits, her 13-year-old niece, Eliza Chalker, became sick after tea with her Aunt Mary. Witnesses saw Eliza had suffered from convulsions. Her limbs jerked and she foamed at the mouth before dying on May 3, 1892. The doctor, Dr. Woodsworth, considered her death the result of congestive grip. Less than a year later, Mary again went to visit her sister, Margaret. On February 18, 1893, Mary's 18 year old sister, Mary Murphy, traveled to Saginaw to visit her fiance. And then while having tea with her, Aunt Mary and Margaret, describing her betrothed, they were giggling and making wedding plans when Sarah's body began to twitch and convulse. The women called Dr. Woodworth, who prescribed a mustard bath, but that did not help. Four and a half hours after the twitching started, Sarah died. In 1894, Mary and James McKnight moved to Grayling to a farm James had purchased. For four years, there wasn't any mysterious deaths around Mary, but that would change in 1898 and on November 12, 1898, James became ill after eating a dinner Mary had sent to him while he worked in the fields. The physician, Dr. Layton, said that when he arrived, James was on his deathbed. The symptoms Dr. Layton saw were that James's torso was bent backward like a bow, and his arms and legs jerked and his throat had become partially paralyzed. Two days later, James's condition started to improve when he was sitting up in bed and smoking a pipe and laughed about his brush with death. Leighton believed James would survive and return to town. That same night, James relapsed and died. Mary told the doctor that James's relapse happened so quickly that she didn't have time to call for help. Dr. Leighton listed the immediate cause of death as exhaustion brought on by paralysis. Mary received another $2,000 from her second husband's life insurance. So now she's up over $100,000 in life insurance. In 1900... Mary received word that an old friend named Mrs. Mackenzie from Saginaw had died after surgery and her grandmother, Mrs. Schrieberger, became sick with grief. Mary, being the great friend that she was, traveled to Saginaw to look after Mrs. Schrieberger in her, in her house. While there, Mrs. Schrieberger suddenly died. A few days later, Mrs. Schrieberger's daughter, Mrs. Curry, also died. And despite the black cloud of death hovering over Mary McKnight, her friends and family continued to ask her for help. After Anna Jensen became ill and had to go to the hospital, she asked Mary to look after her six-year-old daughter, Dorothy. March 28, 1902, Dorothy became sick after playing with her friends in the yard. Mary told a neighbor that Dorothy overdid it and was exhausted from skipping rope but the neighbor later told prosecutors that they noticed a strange trembling that shook Dorothy's whole body and that she frothed from the mouth like a rabid dog. Later, around 4 p.m., the local physician, Stanley Inslee, arrived. On Dorothy's death certificate, he stated that she died suddenly after fainting. For the cause of death, he wrote, Don't know, and listed overexertion, skipping rope as a contributing factor. Yes, this doctor actually put, Don't know, for the cause of death. In the winter of 1903, Mary moved to her mother's house in Springfield Township, where her brother, his wife Gertrude, and their daughter Ruth lived, while finishing up on their home on a nearby parcel of land. On April 20th, Gertrude went to work on the new house and left Ruth in the care of Mary. Mary tucked Ruth in her crib for a nap. When she checked on her later, she found that her skin was a baby blue color and she wasn't moving. She'd apparently become tangled in the soft bed linen and died. Gertrude returned around lunchtime and when Mary told her about Ruth, she became hysterical, pacing back and forth and screaming. After Sarah and Mary calmed Gertrude, John went to Fife Lake to purchase a coffin from the undertaker, Willis Brower. While John was gone, Gertrude became ill and complained of a neck ache and shivers. Then she had a violent convulsion where her body twitched and she foamed at the mouth and threw her head back. The convulsions lasted a few minutes before her body appeared to relax with her hands opening and dropping to her sides. Then Gertrude's body began to twitch again. She suffered from several more convulsions before she stopped moving. She passed within 20 minutes of the first episode and only an hour after her daughter. Ruth and Gertrude Murphy shared a funeral and a coffin. Less than two weeks later, on May 2nd, 1903, around 9 p.m., Sarah Murphy went to a family friend, Joe Battenfield's. frantic and winded. She explained that John was experiencing convulsions and crippling pain that left him prostrate in bed. Sarah feared John was the next victim of the curse that haunted the Murphy family. She begged Joe to come over and bring a bottle of camphor. When Joe arrived, he found John laying across the bed with his back arched so severely his weight laid on the top of his head. His arms were drawn up towards his chest and his legs were stretched out with his feet on the floor. John pulled the bottle of camphor from his pocket and asked Mary to give John some salt. She grabbed a salt tablet out of a dish at the foot of the bed and gave it to John. John appeared to relax. Joe opened the camphor and placed it in front of John's nose. It's no good, Joe. I'm dying, said John. Then he started convulsing violently. Hold me down, John. screamed. My feet will come right up. Joe braced his knee against John's. After a few seconds, the convulsion stopped, his face relaxed, and Joe could tell that John had died. After Mary realized John was gone, she started to sob. Later that night, Joe and Mary prepared John's body for a traditional Irish wake. Mary bathed her brother, and she and Joe dressed John in his Sunday's best, which was a struggle because John was stiff as a board. Dr. S.E. Nyhart later listed John's cause of death as an asthma attack. John Murphy was buried three days later at the Springfield Cemetery beside Gertrude and Ruth. Joe Battenfield missed the funeral because Dr. Nyhart placed Joe in quarantine in fear of the possibility of a contagious and lethal disease. The sympathetic and kind folks of Springfield Township felt that three deaths in a little more than a week was more than a family should have to bear. So did a suspicious Grand Travers County prosecutor, E.C. Smith, who ordered John's body be exhumed and sent the dead man's organs to Ann Arbor for analysis. A week later, the report came back. The strychnine found in John's stomach would have killed ten men. Smith then launched a thorough investigation into Mary Murphy's past and compiled an, an appalling report. James Ambrose, Mary's first husband, died in agony, his limbs twitching convulsively. Mrs. McKnight, the first wife of Mary's second husband, Ernest, died in Elpina in July 1887 after experiencing severe convulsions while under Mary's care. Two days after Mrs. McKnight's death, Mary's niece, Baby Teeple, also died of convulsions while under Mary's care. In Grayling, after drinking tea with Mary in May 1892, Eliza Chalker, another niece, foamed at the mouth and died. Nine months later, also in Grayling, Sarah Murphy, Mary's sister, Died, also, after drinking tea with Mary, Ernest McKnight, Mary's second husband, drove his wagon to cut some hay, and shortly after eating a lunch prepared by Mary, became violently ill, but made it home. By the next morning, he had recovered, but by that night, Mary reported he died in his sleep. 1896, Missus Carey, a relative of Mary's, mysteriously died. Dorothy Jensen, a child in the care of Mary, died on Good Friday, 1902, after uncontrollably twitching and foaming at the mouth. Prosecutor Smith added the names of John, Gertrude, and Baby Murphy to the horrifying report and continued his investigation. He ordered bodies of Gertrude and the baby exhumed, and the Ann Arbor Medical Examiner found large amounts of strychnine in both. A neighbor, present when the baby died, told Smith she had seen Mary give the baby a pill shortly before it went into spasms and died. Shortly after that, according to the same witness, Mary gave Gertrude a pill for her nerves, and Gertrude immediately fell to the floor, her limbs twitching horribly until she died. Smith arrested Mary and she admitted that she had given her brother and his family homemade strychnine quinine pills but only to soothe, not kill them. Forty-year-old Mary McKnight was tried, found guilty of murder in the first degree of her brother John and sentenced to life imprisonment. She spent 18 years in the Detroit House of Corrections before being paroled and it is also said that her motive was just she wanted to be able to wear her funeral outfit. I do want to put a shout out to Tobin Buck. Um, He was where I got most of my information from. There's very little on this woman online. Um, Tobin wrote a book called Michigan Strychnine Saint, The Curious Case of Mrs. Mary McKnight. It's got a bunch of great information. um, Very, very detailed. If you want to check it out, it is on Amazon Kindle. Like I said, it is a very good read. Um, I also dig it a little bit from a story from the Fife Lake Michigan Museum, but the author isn't known. If you did like the storytelling um, and you want to support it, uh, you can follow me on at Little Shop Murder on Facebook. uh, Murder spelled with a three. Or you can just look up Little Shop of Murders on Facebook under the search. Um, You can also go to Little Shop of Murders on Patreon. Um, I will get some tiers set up. Um, I don't have any right now, but if you do want to support the podcast, it'd be awesome. Tell your friends on Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, all sorts of different ones. Um, Anything you want to do. If you want to message me on Facebook, that's cool too. But yeah, if you got anything else, any cool stories you want to hear about, um, let me know. Shoot them to me. Um, The lesser known stuff, preferably. Um, That way, you know, we don't have a bunch of different ones about the same things over and over.